0: Welcome, our yeah. listener, to talk with me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, on LawrenceHits.com, and again, this is talk with me, where guests can be all over in in many ways of that phrase, I suppose. Uh, and and today, I'm sitting here with a book beside me, a new book by my guest today. I'm sitting here actually with another new book beside me, uh, and from another poet in another part of the country. <laughs> And, and I'm realizing the importance to me of what I get out of experiencing poetry, the, the meanings of poems, the stories that are shared in that, that way, sometimes brief, sometimes long, but things that really touch me both in the ways that inspire laughter at times and in other times in ways that inspire tears and all because writing can be so powerful in sharing experiences and connecting us, which is why I love sharing this with our listeners. Today, my guest is joining us from Los Angeles. And my guest is a wonderful artist. I think of both the photographs as well as writing. And I know involvement with hosting events and editing and journals and lots of great stuff. My guest is Alexis Roan Fancher. Good morning, Alexis.
1: Good morning, Marcia. How are you?
0: I'm very good, thanks. How about you?
1: It's a beautiful day in LA. The fog has uh, rolled off, and it's sunny. I'm doing great.
0: Yay, yay! And and you are always involved with lots of things with that combination of arts that you do. I know before we started the show, I was I was talking about some of the photographs that you shared from an event yesterday. And, and I think there's always new and different stuff going on in your world. And and you are one of those people who is also bringing other people um, attention. And, and I, I see that as one of the many positive things that kind of mentoring and uplifting other people by, by encouraging them to be doing their work as well. So it's always a good thing to get to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. So for people who have not yet encountered your work and you, <laughs> what are some things that they should know about you? Hmm.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of a triple threat, I guess. Um, I'm a photographer who uh, writes uh, what's often called confessional uh, I'm a confessional poet who uh, does a lot of street photography, um, photographs of other poets, and I also edit. Um, I'm the editor of Cultural Weekly, which is a weekly arts and culture magazine that comes from LA but has correspondence all over the world.
0: So there's there's a lot of different ways that you're involved with art, and I as I'm sitting here with with your book beside me, your new book beside me, I'm, I'm thinking of there's a power of your your art that is to me there's an there's an importance that when I read it that you are a woman writing about experiences and writing in ways that really touched me deeply, sometimes almost in a disturbing way, which I also think is good. You know, it it makes me think about my own experiences sometimes, my own attitudes, my own hopes and dreams, you know? There's an intensity for me when I read your poetry. Um, and to me, that speaks to your skill. Um, and. And so there's a part of me that just wants to say I want people to hear you. I want people to, to read, to buy, to, you know, if they're in, in places where you're speaking and reading, excuse me, and, and get to experience that. And, and that's how they're going to know for themselves, you know, what I'm talking about because not everybody's words really strike that deeply to me as yours do and i and i really appreciate that
1: thank you thank you i i want i asked my husband the other day i said you know i was kind of feeling you know uh, i don't know i i said if you had to describe my work in one word what would it be i was answering um, a print interview i was working on and he said accessible
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and I like that i want I tell stories I'm a storyteller more than anything I think, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: I just tell stories and poetry as succinctly and simply uh as i can and um i i I want to connect with people i I want to do what you were talking about. I want you to feel deeply mm-hmm. I want people to know that there are others out there who feel at least somewhat, like you do, who can uh-huh. be accessed, and I want my readers to feel that they're not alone, you right. know. And whatever crazy, aberrant, romantic um, themes and schemes they may come up with, that there are those of us out there that that understand that.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I think that because you are a woman, and at least the two books of yours that that I have read from <laughs> there's so much of an experience that is a woman's experience, that it would take a woman like you, who's being open and wanting to share deeply, to be able to do what you do. and And so it's it's interesting that you said your husband used the word accessible because that is a good word. and and I get that. I get that, you know, people can read and get engaged, it's not formal, it's not, it's not academic, it's not distance, it's not removed, and so, so there are lots of levels of accessible that I, that I agree with, but thank you. the thing that accessible doesn't express to me is that depth of, of emotion that comes through the stories that you tell in your poetry. You know, that there's accessible could be somebody could hear that word and go, oh, then it's kind of light and airy and easy. It's like, no, this is not superficial, (laughs) but it is meant for for people from a lot of experiences to be able to connect with it well. Well, I suppose that's just the dilemma of one word. (laughs) Well,
1: I think it's the tip of the iceberg word Um, background rather than being academic with an MFA in poetry is I have a, a, a BA in uh, theater with an emphasis in acting. So I approach a poem kind of almost like a character within the poem. So I, it's, I have, I have that kind of difference about me. I think that uh-huh. sometimes can get me inside a character so that I can write from the point of view of a waitress or a girl dying in a hospital or, you know, a newlywed, uh, you know, just excited about her life, um, mm-hmm. or the mother of a dead child. Um, mm-hmm. they're all me, but I want to make my characters more universal. I want to invite you, you know, like the book says to enter here.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, I love that. The what? It, the the title "Enter Here," which is your newest books, your newest book, and the photograph on the front of it, and and the the many layers of you know "Enter Here." What could that re, you know be referring to? I, I love that intrigue that that I get that invitation. And clearly, you know, when I see the front of this book and go, "Yes, I do want to enter this and see where it takes me." <laughs>
1: Oh, good. That was that was the objective. Oh, my yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, it's morning here in LA, and on Monday they, you know, have all kinds of trucks and uh-huh. Yeah,
0: Three. real life happens. Yes, real so. life. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and is is LA where you have lived most of your life?
1: it is i did a lot of traveling when i was uh in my 20s and uh again back in uh the early 2000s and um i lived up in northern california but i grew up in la i grew up in Topanga. uh i'm a valley girl basically um and every time i would travel and live in other places i mean i spent two years in europe and uh all I dreamed about were LA sunsets, which are the most beautiful, and I love this city. I mean, you've read into here, and I think that this city is another character in the book. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm a lifelong Angelino,
0: as they say. And obviously, the different aspects of LA, the different cultures, the different Things that are unique to LA that are that are part of that evolving city, are things that inform what you do. And and to me, I love that this particular book enter here also includes several of your photographs, in addition to the one on the front cover, but others because, I you know I get glimpses that I wouldn't see. I I, I love the power of your words. And I also love the power of your images and, and interesting ways that light and reflections and shadows are part of those images. Um, and, and sometimes there's so much expressed in your photographs that to me, it's very much like your poems. There's, there's that depth of layers of meanings and implications and, and invitations.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Yes yeah we try so tell <laughs> our uh, of course tell our listeners a, a little bit about this new book and of course we'd love to have you share some poem but what what's what's going on with this new book it's it's very new i believe right
1: it just came out in may may uh-huh. of
0: twenty.
1: so it's very new um i have just started doing readings mm-hmm. uh in and around la i'll be going up to sacramento ventura kind of keeping it California centric for the for the moment. Centre um, here is the full-length collection uh of my poems that have been published for the last probably two years. Um it's the follow-up to my first erotic collection, um How I Lost My Virginity to Michael Cohen and Other Heart Gap poems. Um, so it's pretty much all the erotic work that I've written since virginity came out in
0: 2014. Uh-huh. And and it's interesting that you refer to it as erotic, because I I mean there are certainly some that are blatantly that, and some that are so much powerful emotion of a variety of kinds that I I wouldn't necessarily think of them as erotic. But but certainly, it's it's a wonderful volume, a wonderful collection of poetry and and there are poems in there that to me seem so there's there's so much intensity about them in a way that is truly a gift for the readers you know when when i when i hear people sharing experiences whether that's literally accurate you know through their writing or or not but i know it's based in in real experience because you can't get that powerful expression without having lived that kind of experience you know having experienced those de- deep emotions and and so there's there are stories of death and murder and loss and love and lust and all kinds of things in here yeah. that all bring people that you know that that opportunity to to know that yeah like you said earlier there are other people who've experienced this and and that there's to me always that that hopefulness then okay i'm not the only one i'm not alone the feelings are the feelings and they're real and they're important but they don't become a limiter in what happens next if that makes sense that, that we yeah it does. yeah it's we're, we're always growing and evolving and The hard things that happen also make us the beautiful people that we are.
1: Well, I mean, I have never been a sad waitress at the diner in Barstow, but I've watched those women and I've waited tables and I know about longing. So you're right. Uh, I think that my work is erotic, but it really is not necessarily. I don't write about sex. Mm
2: -hmm. I
1: really don't. Um, Mm -hmm. I write about power. (laughs) <laughs> basically. But yeah, I, you can, you can go in a lot of different ways. And mm-hmm. as an actor, you know, who studied method, method acting. And then again, later on with Jack Grace, I studied method writing. I know how to insert myself and my genuine emotions into a different persona.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? And I think it's something that helps me to write poetry that hopefully touches another human being, which is Mm kind of what it's about, right? The communication.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I could read that poem if you like. That'd
0: be great. Thank you.
1: Okay. um, For the sad waitress at the diner in Barstow, beyond the kitchen swinging door, beyond the order wheel and the pass Piled high with bacon, hash browns, biscuits, and gravy. Past the radio turned a 101.5 FM all country all the time. Past the truckers overwhelming the counter all grab ass and longing. In the middle of morning rush, you'll catch her in a wilted pink uniform, coffee pot fused in her grip, staring over the top of your head. You'll follow her gaze out the fly-specked plate-glass windows, past the parking lot. Watch as she eyes those 16-wheelers barreling down the highway, their mudguards adorned with chrome silhouettes of naked women who look nothing like her. The cruel sun throws her inertia in her face. This is what regret looks like. Maybe she's searching for that hot day in August when she first walked away from you. There's a choking sound a semi makes when it pulls off the highway, that downshifted death rattle she's never gotten used to. Maybe she's looking for a way back home. Maybe she's ready to come home. But for now... She's lost herself between the register and the door, the endless business from table to kitchen. She's as much left over as the sunny side eggs, yolks hardening
0: on your plate. Wow. And if a listener isn't moved by that, then I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're quite alive. (laughs) Thank you yeah because that's you know i think we we can all think of course of experiences and regrets and and things that you know as we as we hear that and and think about real people's lives and for me it it gets me to that other reminder that we are all real people and we don't know what's going on for people and and people who work in retail and different services they are real people with real lives and and when we have the opportunity to encounter them because we have the opportunity to purchase you know whatever it is that's part of where they work we have the responsibility of being kind to people
1: <laughs> thank you i i agree i think that you know for me the dalai lama said my religion is kindness and as a poet I think to understand what's going on with other people and to connect,
2: mm-hmm. I
1: think you have to be kind. You yes. have to give people the benefit of the doubt. You have to go, wow, you know, she maybe is kind of hurt, you know, with me, but maybe she had a bad day.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? yeah. Let's, let's err on that side. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and to me, there's... There's another level of specifically the the food service industry that is at least with people who I know, it is one of the jobs that a lot of artists end up working for a variety of reasons. And,
1: well, and so... I, I was a bartender at a uh-huh. dive bar called the Disco Duck in Hollywood <laughs> uh, back in the last century. And uh, you haven't lived until you've been a bartender at a dive bar. And I mean, you hear the stories, you know, you got to have a couple belts and you just a Coke, right? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so I know about that. Um, But I tell you, there have been other times when I've had a really tough day and I've walked into a Denny's and, you know, I've kind of been jealous of the, the waitress because at the end of the day, she had a, you know, tips and money in her pocket and me, you know, I'd still be there struggling. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so I certainly wasn't meaning to say it's it's a bad profession by any means. You oh
1: know. no, I didn't and, get that at all from you. Yeah. It just made me remember and laugh. You know, yeah. like just, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and and you said an interesting thing about your own experience was, you know, that that sometimes it takes some some drinking to, to deal with that environment. And you know, and I think about that too. I think about artists' friends who have their own struggles with with alcohol and other substance abuse and 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 you know that they they have to be mindful of that as well you know balancing all these things how do we cope with all the things in our lives which brings me full circle to to poetry and writing and being at readings and and the community that forms with people who are involved with the arts you know the opportunity to connect with other artists is an important part of of not only continuing to improve your your, your art but also to sustain yourself personally. You know, I, I think about again artists who I meet and, and the, the groups that kind of form around you know people who, who have connected through their art and and the way that they nurture each other and how that's that's so important too.
1: Well you asked how people cope, and I cope by writing, I cope by creating. Um, that's how I cope, and I think it's different for everyone. I know people who read um, statistics, you know, and that helps them cope, or they read poetry, or they read, I don't know, or they go on long walks, so they become uh, American ninjas, <laughs> Yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, right? Uh-huh. Um, yes.
0: Anyway. So, what kind of do you see a specific, like, core group of artists who are the ones who you are most connected to, who are your your first readers, your your people whose comments on your photos are the most important, and as you refine, as you continue to grow as a photographer as well as a writer, and and I'm I'm just asking, is like, is there is there a sort of a tight circle for you? Or are you kind of Um, In that sense, also a a connecting group person, or is a lot of your art really pretty solitary? That's a good
1: question. Um, As a photographer, I'm pretty self-sufficient. I've been shooting since I was 10, and I know what I know. Um, My husband says it's all about knowing when to uh, snap the shutter. (laughs) But um, I listen to him primarily he's he's a very wise and savvy guy and and he's very good with looking at my visual work and 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 being able to point out things that sometimes i don't see um Mm -hmm. as a poet i have a peer editor my beloved friend chanel brenner uh poet extraordinaire uh we've been peer editing each other's poetry for about eight years now um I have a couple of paid editors, and I my work goes through a lot. I mean, it yeah. goes through yeah. eight, ten, fifteen edits. You know, fifteen drafts is not unusual. So uh, it's a very different process. I think I'm a lot more confident in the photography. Uh, poetry's harder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, interesting. It's, it's almost a collective.
0: That's for me anyway, a village um, uh-huh so you 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 use that word confidence that you have a a confidence in your photography that's different than with your poetry and you mentioned doing photography since you were a young child, and with your poetry, when did you start writing?
1: I've always written, and I wrote okay. poetry as a child, but okay. I started being serious about it in 2008. Um, I started taking classes with uh, Jack Grapes, who is a poetry legend here in L.A., a great teacher, mentor, uh, and friend. Um, it's where I met Chanel. Uh, it's where I became really aware of the poetry community in L.A. I started doing readings at uh, a uh, big cultural uh, place here in L.A. called Beyond Baroque,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, sort of fell into being asked to do readings. And then I guess it was about four years of study. And then one day I thought, you know what? I think I'm ready to start sending my work out mm-hmm. for public interest. And that was the end of 2012. So that's kind of it. And now I write I've been writing every day since probably two thousand eight. It's my job now, so I'm very lucky I get to be a full time writer.
0: Uh-huh. Before then was writing also part of whatever you considered your job?
1: Um you know, it always was part of it. Um uh-huh. but uh I- I was a divorced mom with no child support, so I raised a son on my own. Um, I spent many years as an advertising executive. that's how I earned a living, um, which taught me to be succinct and actually is very helpful uh, when writing poetry. Um, when I, I guess my son was about 16, and, and I started getting very depressed. Um, I wasn't writing on the level I wanted. I wasn't studying yet. And um, every day I'd drive to work and there was this bridge and I'd look at it and this little voice in my head says, if you make a hard left, you'll go over the bridge and it'll all be over. And I'm thinking, I'm not suicidal. I'm not depressed. Something is really wrong. And I went in and I saw a therapist. God bless this nameless doctor who, you know, I told him what I was feeling and he said, oh, that's easy, you know. All you have to do is write every day. You take a little bit of time, whatever that time is, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, and you keep writing. Your kid will go off to college, and then you'll write more. But to be depressed that you're not a full-time writer and making it all or nothing is not helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, no, just get out of here and go write. And he, he dismissed me. I said, go. And it saved my life. I know. I you know, it's so, yeah. I oh, you. You know, I can fix you in a second here, yeah, no problem.
2: Yeah. And he did.
1: He did. Uh-huh. Um, and now I'm retired and I write full time,
0: and um, it's perfect. That's such a great story. And, and although it, it's sort of like the word accessible that your husband used to describe your poetry, it's a great story. It sounds really simple, but what I know also, and you know also, is that that therapist had to have the right personal characteristics, whatever I want to call it, I don't, there's not a good word to describe this, but, but had to to listen to you and speak to you in a way that showed you that this, this therapist is paying attention to what I'm saying and, and is understanding what I'm saying. And it's yes. not giving me a task that's impossible, but is really hearing what I'm saying and, and, and pushing me in, in what I'm already saying to the therapist, you know, it's, it's different oh, he came than, up with the solution. Yeah. Right. But, but when it, when it really is a solution that someone can use, it means that therapist was really in, in tune with you. That's what I'm saying. it's not, you could have gone to somebody else who was, a, who was not not a good match for you to work with, who could have or given you... Have
1: said, yeah, here, well, we've got 20 years of work to do here. When can you show up every week? Yeah. Yeah. No, this, yeah. I just, eh, you're not a problem. It's not a problem, you know. Right, so, right, right. So, you yeah. Know, you, yeah. It's,
0: it's an interesting thing that those things that that really connect with us and... <clears throat> I, I think I, I maybe particularly pick up on it, of course, because that's the work that I do. And I, and I had somebody say to me, nobody's ever said that to me before. And, and what, <laughs> what she was referring to was she was talking about these worries about you know, kind of in two areas this person and her uh, and a relative who she kept saying was going to die soon and what she was going to need to do because this person is a, is an older relative and this person's going to die. And then in a, in a different way, talking about relationships and, and how she's always afraid that somebody's going to leave her. And, and, and what I had basically said was, well, you might die first. We don't really know when those other people are gonna die. And sometimes you leave first, you know. And and so yeah. it it might have sounded brash and and harsh to somebody else, like, why are you telling me I'm gonna die? But she got what I was saying because I was getting what she was saying, you know. So so yeah. sometimes those those simple suggestions or reminders have a huge amount of meaning when when they are right on for that person. And so that's that parallels to me the impact of your poetry and your photography is because you're capturing things and people go, yeah, I get that. I needed to remember that, I needed to see that, I hear that, you know, this this takes me to this place of, you know, thinking about something in my own experience and, and it's comforting, you know, to see it in this photograph or in this poetry. It's a really huge gift. Thank you and with with enter here you you referred to it as, in essence, the follow- up to a previous book. Did you plan? you know were you were you looking to write and put together a collection that would complement that particular book, or? Did that happen more sort of spontaneously?
1: Well, after I finished How I Lost My Virginity to Michael Cohen, um, I took a, a pretty major detour and I wrote a book of elegies called State of Grace, the Joshua Elegies, which um, are a series of poems and photos uh, about my late son, uh, Joshua who passed away in
0: 2007. Um, wow.
1: So, sad. so there, was, there was that, and that took a long time of, of a poem here, a poem there, if they didn't just sort of flow. Uh, but by, while I was writing that book and while that book was being published in 2015 and um, I was touring with that book, I was also working on... Uh, the poems that are now in entry Here, and they were getting published here and there, and uh, I realized I had 50 poems that were post uh, How I Lost My Virginity, and that had a theme, you know, and then I started really looking at how to kind of make a collection that would speak of my love for L.A., speak of my love for empowering women <clears throat> excuse me, Mm-hmm. <clears throat> women and men, and um, how that could be crafted in, into into a new collection. Um, I'm working with the same publisher, Kaiso Flash, and the same uh, publisher slash editor, uh, the magical Claire McQueen, who also edits uh, the journal Kaiso Flash, uh, and uh, is an editor in Serving House Journal, and uh, we met through my work a few years back, and uh, this is, Enter Here is the second book that she's published. She is brilliant. Uh, she's, she likes things to be perfect, the way the book looks, the way that it flows. She edited the poems in terms of where they went in the book, uh, uh. where the photos went, uh, which photos, um, it was a, a pas de It was a labor of love. Um, mm-hmm. She's magical to work with. So mm-hmm. that was a really great part about getting this collection together. But as far as being the follow-up, yeah, it's everything that's not about dead children mm-hmm. um, and loss uh, in terms of child loss. But I guess, yeah, there's a lot of loss in that book um, yeah. in it here. Yeah. Quite a bit, actually. Um, did you like that poem about the girl hovering on the hospital scene?
0: Um, that's kind of about loss. Let me. Yes, yes, and in fact, I think I'm hoping you will share that book. I I don't remember how I first encountered that poem of yours. Whether you had whether I had seen it on a, in a journal link from, but I, but I, oh yes, that's an amazing poem. And, and, and your yeah, note. It was in
1: Glass, it. the Glass uh, Poetry Journal is where it came out recently, um, right before the book came out, in fact.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you want me to read it? I, I would love to, if you're willing.
1: Oh yeah, I would. Well, I'm going to set this poem up because at the end of the poem here in the book, it has an author's commentary. When I was 20, a a highway collision killed my fiancé and my unborn child. I survived only because I was asleep, my head on my fiancé's lap, when the driver of the other vehicle veered into our lane and crashed into us at 70 miles per hour. I have tried for years to write about the immediate aftermath. This poem is the first time I got it right. I was hovering just below the hospital ceiling, contemplating my death. I was hovering just below the hospital ceiling, contemplating my death, when I glanced down and saw my body, the suffering, damaged girl. My beloved, nowhere to be found, had died on impact. Now the ER doctors say I can go either way. So I hover on the ceiling of the sistine ceiling of the ICU, undecided. My dead lover's hand reaching for me like God stretched for Adam. The tubes and machines that keep me earthbound give way. We soar above the hospital morgue. Backtrack the highway, our bodies unbroken, the crash sliced out. My mother keens beside my hospital bed, her fingers tangled in my blood-soaked hair, picking at pieces of windshield holding tight. Years later, I retraced the road between death and Santa Barbara, how he cradled my head in his lap as he drove, how he didn't want to go with me how i always got what i wanted all my life such a greedy girl
0: that's such a beautiful poem and to me one that that must take a lot of in some sense courage and the words don't seem to come right to me but you know like the the right nuance isn't isn't always there but in terms of trying to describe but but to be able to share this experience through this poem is really powerful and and i suppose in some ways i'm really struck by the need for us to communicate about traumatic events and death and do that enough and and if when we don't do that then it's as though we pretend it's not going to happen and and it is going to happen for all of us
1: well this culture this culture does not look at death as something to be recognized as something to be feared to be poo-pooed to throw out to not look at and then one day it's there in your face um I think with this poem, this poem was a breakthrough for me um, in terms of really understanding that in order to communicate, sometimes you've got to look bad Mm -hmm. and not to be afraid about looking bad and to exploring your own culpability, my culpability, the human culpability of just being human the mistakes we made, the times that we don't look good, the times that we're really guilty. Um, I've been working on a a book that's out now for publication um, called Junkie, J-U-N-K-I-E, Wife, um, about my disastrous first marriage that ended in a very bizarre menage a trois. Uh, It's a chapbook, about 20 poems. um, But I... All my life, when I look back at that time in my life, I was the the victim. I was the unsung hero, and none of it was my fault. And when I went back and wrote Junkie Wife, I looked at it as everybody's culpable. And in the beginning, it says, no names were changed because no one was innocent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was kind of my big breakthrough with this poem about about the ICU and and junkie wife and the work I'm doing. I think if there's anything that really scares the crap out of me, it's that I'm allowing myself to not look good. You know, that I am working at all and such a greedy girl. I mean, writing that line you know, to accept that I was responsible.
0: And and, and I, I was- I I hear that that's, that is your experience and your, your, you know, that's, that's what this means to you. And, and then I know to me, it means something really different because I believe that we always feel guilt about other people's deaths and that that feeling is real and important and needs to be acknowledged, but it's not the same as a reality of we were responsible, we had control, you know. And so i'm I'm touched by the sharing of guilt because I think we all need to know that that that's that is a, a very common common part of our set of reactions over time with with different losses. So a beautiful, beautiful poem, and and you're saying how vulnerable you feel in sharing that because of what this means to me. And and I thank you for sharing that. And and with this really intense discussion of this beautiful poem and hard poem to share, as you've said, it it feels a little awkward, but we do have to take a break. Um, And we, we are gonna hear from a couple of businesses in Lawrence, Kansas that sponsor the show. And laurencehits.com. And I say a big thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show, because that's how people get to hear it. So we will be right back with more Alexis Roan Fancher on Talk With Me. Listeners, welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein, and my guest today is joining us from Los Angeles. And this is Alexis Roan Fancher. And we have been talking about her writing, her photography. Her new book, Enter Here, a very powerful poem that she just shared that relates to death and responsibility, guilt, to sadness, so many things. And and Alexis, when you when you asked me if if I um, sort of my my thought about the hovering poem before you read it, and I picked up the copy of my copy of Enter Here, I have. A few different places where I put um, a paper bookmark, and that was one. And another one that that relates to me and is in a different way is the very touching poem for Kate in Absentia, with which also deals with death, and and a and a different story, but also about death, which I think is a very beautiful poem. And in that it's dedicated, I'm assuming that it is you know, connected to some people in your life? Uh, Kate O'Donnell was
1: a painter, um, a minimalist, and my very best friend in the world, and she passed away in 2014. Um, And when she was alive, I tried so hard, I could never write a good poem about her, uh, no matter how I tried. And then after she died, they came spilling out and uh, for Kate and French it was one of those poems. Um, I just don't want people to think that my book is all sad. You know. Um, <laughs> right. You don't have no.
0: to you don't have to share it. Uh, we can leave that one as a teaser.
1: I can leave that as a teaser. I'd much yeah. rather do something fun if that yes. would be
0: okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
1: I have a a poem that uh, in the book called "I Prefer Pussy." It's, uh-huh. uh, is that okay to read? Absolutely. Oh
0: yes, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> no bad words. Um, but this is something that I I never write rhyming poetry, but. I, <laughs> It came to me as sort of a challenge. I was sent a, a list of words that um, are used to refer to uh, women genitalia, women's genitalia, and asked to use one or two in a poem for an anthology. And I. Ended up using like forty, and this book has been published since I wrote it last summer, uh, six times now, and in, in three anthologies: the one in Australia, one here in LA, um, and in the New York Times. So, um, with that intro, I'm going to read this one. Uh, okay. I prefer pussy, a little city, pity, ditty. <laughs> I prefer pussy, as in cat as in willow, as in chases a rat, as in raised on a pillow. I prefer pussy, as in riot, as in foot, as in pussycat doll, as in puss in boots. I prefer pussy as a twat it is not, nor is it a beaver, a clam, or a cleaver. I prefer pussy to nookie or gash, It isn't a box or a cave or a slash. I prefer pussy to snapper or snatch far better than taco or slit or man catch. I prefer pussy, though rosebud's not bad and muffin sounds homey and cooch makes me glad. I prefer pussy as in whip, as in flower, as into it you slip, as in, I have the power. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got to got to show that I have a sense of humor. Um, Absolutely, it was so much fun to write. it. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, and and it's it is a fun poem, and, and it's the, you know there's that delight, and and a poet friend in Brooklyn, Ali Malinenko, recently had had posted about it was it was a statement to writer friends and others that for her she said do not use food words to describe women's genitals do not and so of course some of her male poet friends couldn't let that go and didn't realize that in doing the the comments the joking that they thought was okay they were really really discounting what she was saying so it's a very interesting set of responses and you know and then on the contrast you throw this in this light way which is so delightful and gets people thinking you know what is it about these words you know what you know it's it's one of those it's it's like you know, talking about death in the sense that we don't talk about these words. I remember there was a lovely, lovely professor at the University of Kansas who taught classes on sexuality and did workshops. And one of the things he would always do at the beginning was he would have these big pieces of paper and and people would you know whether they were on walls or on the floors or whatever you would go around and write as many words as you could think of for for different you know for genitals and and different kinds of sexual activities and all of this stuff to get people used to talking
1: (laughs) well take the charge out of those words i Uh think yeah (laughs) Mm. Um I just thought it was they just sent me a list. It was a whole page. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. But this, this long list that I wish I could find it. I thought, What did I do with that? Oh I used it all up, you know. Um But I I, I just think that that people I'm sorry, ladies, often women take things so seriously. And, you know, I worked in a male-dominated industry for most of my life. And if I were to become offended from everything that men said to me, um, I would have had no income. So mm-hmm. um, I got, you know, and I worked in, you know, in blue-collar um you know, with with wrecking yards and things like that, I sold that kind of advertising. And um, you know, if a man looked you up and down and kind of licked his lips, that was a compliment, goddammit. it! And you had to look at it that way. <laughs> don't don't be, you know. So I learned to have a. I learned to look at how something was meant. Uh-huh. If it was meant, if it if it was kind of sexist or whatever, but it was meant in a kind way, and that is how that person communicated. I looked at in how it, it it at the sentiment behind it, rather than being so easily offended. And I don't know. I mean, I thought guys that that whistled at me or cat called at me, you know, it's kind of their way of communicating. Was it lovely? No. But as I got older, I grew more appreciative of it. <laughs> um, I, I I really think that that all of us as a species, yes, it's serious and yes, it's important, but lighten up, uh-huh. you know? I hope that doesn't get me in trouble with my, my sister here. But I, I just think that everybody has a hard road to home. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I love men. Mm-hmm. I love black men and white men and, and those beautiful brown men. Um, I just love men. I love people. And I think what you said earlier about making it about kindness Mm -hmm. you know, give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, the cat called probably because he doesn't have the language skills to say, Oh my
0: God, you're such a lovely girl. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And and Uh, whether, whether, you know, certainly not everybody's going to agree with what you're saying, but what one of the things I hear in what you're saying is also a reclaiming of your power, you know, that you you. have. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) My, my uh, publisher at the end of the book uh, convinced me to put in this quote that uh, from an interview I did last year with the Femme magazine, which is a feminist magazine, and they love me. So anyway, here it is. I write about women like me, women who own their sexuality and take responsibility for their choices. It may seem I'm writing about sex, but really I'm writing about power. Mm -hmm. who has it, how to get it, how to wield it, how to keep it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you wanted somebody to write, you know, what do you write about? I write
0: about power. You know, um, that kind of is pretty much that. Yeah. Uh, And and as you say that, you, you know, I also am reminded that it's essential that we all have the experience of Owning our power of knowing that we are full of power, you know. Yeah. And yeah, that that when when we see ourselves as powerless and almost invisible, that's a dangerous place yeah. to live. And when we when we know that we have value, we have worth, we have power. It, that's that's life that's worth living.
1: Well, you'd like to wish that for everyone, wouldn't you?
0: Yes. 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 You know
1: So which it's... of the poems did you like the best? If you wanted me to read one, which would it be?
0: Well, I, I don't I don't have a best, you know, I I a favorite in that sense. They as as it always happens, we each bring in our own experiences into how <laughs> You know, in our our how we how we're affected by things and and poems about the younger sister. You know, those those were delightful in certain ways. And and I'm you know I'm just kind of just paging through the. <laughs> I I do like the the tattoo story, the tattoo on the neck I, to my boyfriend with. Ah uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, so there there's so many different things in here, even as as they're they are connected. They they I so I so I, I don't have a favorite. I have a lot that, that really struck me in ways in different ways that all meant a lot to me.
1: Well thank you. That's, I'm, I'm yeah. always curious to see what people like, what resonates for them, you know, who
0: they are, um, what works, what doesn't, you know. Uh-huh. Would you share the tattoo poem on the air for our listeners? It's another one that's that's a, a I'm kind of <laughs> um, Let
1: me see where is that. I had to walk out of my studio. It's on page
0: see. page fifty seven.
1: <laughs> Thank you. That's
0: so yeah. cool.
1: So yeah, and and there's a picture of the the guy that was actually the guy, and he has this blue, <laughs> this huge blue tattoo of of lips and. I'm looking at the girl he's with at at the restaurant and those aren't her lips. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, whoa, you know, and they look like they were newly dating, you know. Anyway, Uh this is what came up for me. To to my new boyfriend with oversized lips. I'm sorry. To my new boyfriend with oversized blue lips tattooed on his neck. Is it your ex's pouch? I wonder. Blue and on your neck full lips parted like an invitation a visual love poem daytime i keep to your good side your skin unsullied but in the night while you sleep i match my lips to the imprint tongue the moo of my predecessor's mouth lick her salty legacy and come up thin i can't sleep wondering if she's for real if she wore your pants mouthed your prayers sucked you off like a hoover i want them to be some stranger's lips clip art a souvenir of a three-day bender in the company of sailors instead after whiskey and kinky sex one night you let it slip how just before she kissed you off she led you on a leash Statue in the chair, cupped your chin, imprinted her lipstick kiss on your neck, surrounding pulse, and ordered the tattooist to begin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased you find that funny. <laughs>
0: I think that's a wonderful poem, and I think you know, in in the issues of power, as you've, you've mentioned, that that's what a lot of your poetry is about. Man, that is some power. <laughs> well, I just couldn't kind of get him
1: out of my head, and I had a brand new camera. I had this beautiful Nikon that my husband had borrowed to see if we wanted to actually buy one, and I'm shooting in the bar, and that was one of the photographs, and uh-huh. I just. When I got home and I started looking at them online on on my computer, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I wonder what it must be like to be her. (laughs) Um.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I know. So lots of emotions and stories in these poems. And and I want to encourage our listeners to seek out and buy. Enter Here, poems by Alexis Roan Fancher, which is this wonderful collection, wonderful collection. And, and at least for me, it makes me laugh, makes me cry, makes me think. And those are all good things.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you see the humor. I, I like writing comedy. At one point, I thought I would be a comedy writer, write for comedians and things like that. Because uh-huh. occasionally, you know, um, I just don't want to get the reputation as being a sad
0: poet
1: right life is too short you know right
0: well, I think when we talked before where we were specifically talking about the the michael Cohen book that that it was much of a like erotic poetry seemed more and and in that still that fun mischievous you know just sparkling kind of way, intriguing, drawing you in, you know, it's this this amazing set of poems with a, a little different slant. And, and actually I did not know until today um, about your experience of having your son die, which is one of those things that's sort of not supposed to happen. We're not supposed to outlive our kids. And so it's just that reminder of another reminder of. All of these experiences we have, they inform who we are. We continue growing and and when it gets back to the subject of laughter, man, if, if we forget how to laugh, that's a that's another danger sign. We we have every well, you day.
1: Know, a while back I, I was driving behind a car that had a bumper sticker and it said sex is the most fun you can have without laughing and I thought I certainly don't want to do that guy. (laughs) That is not my guy,
0: you know, pass. Um. Right, because it doesn't have to be sex without laughing, right? (laughs) I think it's an important part of sex myself, you know. I love that. So let people know before we end, because we're almost at the end of this hour, what are some of the best ways for people to find you and to buy your work?
1: ah um my all three books uh are available on amazon just type in my name alexis roan r-h-o-n-e fancher in fantastic a-n-c-h-e-r um and my books will come up for sale um you can find me i have a website um alexisroanfancher.com all lowercase that uh you can hear me reading uh, 20 or 30 of my poems online, uh, see a lot of my photos, the ones of famous poets and um, people who should be famous poets and actors and such, um, and just a little bit more about me. Uh, that would be the best place to do it. Wonderful. I'm on Facebook, Alexis Ron Fancher. um, Friend me. That's a way to find out what I'm about and what uh-huh. I'm going to be doing. Uh-huh. And I'll be reading all over up and down California in support of Enter Here um, between now and next April when I'll be at the Marin Poetry Center with uh, D.A. Wright. So what? I'm sorry, D.A. Powell.
0: I keep forgetting his name. Yeah. <laughs> DA somebody.
1: <laughs> no, I think it's D A Powell, and he's very, very, very famous, far more famous than I and brilliant. And really so I'm just, Good. you know.
0: Okay. I don't know.
1: Anyway, yeah. did you want me to read one more? Do we have time or
0: um, one more and then we'll be out of time, but I'd love to have you read one more.
1: Okay. I think I'm going to read I can find it. Um, I think I'll end with Angelica, uh, which is one of my favorite poems in the collection and um, was first published in the Pittsburgh Poetry uh, Review. Um, Tonight I dream of Angelica, my first ex-girlfriend who taught me the rules of the road Angelica comes on to me like a man, all slim, hips, swagger, relentless, dangling that red 57 T-bird at me like dessert. Let me take you for a ride, chica, she says after acting class. I figure what's the harm, but Miss Angel's gets out of hand. I don't count on her heart-shaped ass or those brown nipples crammed in my mouth. I don't count on the dilemmatic four-way power leather seats, the telescoping steering wheel, or the frantic pleasure of her face between my thighs. I admit I've always been driven to sin, but Angelica's far from blameless. She rides me hard week after week, double-clutches me into ecstasy, hip-bone against hip-bone, the dulcet, lingering groan of our gears, grinding. When I confess the affair to my boyfriend, he jacks himself off in the galley kitchen, comes all over his unattainable fantasies. He says he doesn't consider sex between women to be cheating and begs me to set up a threesome. I tell him that Seabird's a two-seater and watch his face fall. I could end it, but why? All I can say is I want her for myself. All I can say is I'm a die-hard romantic. Anyone I do, I do for love.
0: Thank you, Alexis Roan-Fancher and listeners. I know you are intrigued. I know you have been listening and thinking and laughing and wondering and enjoying very much and connecting with the stories that you've heard today. So I encourage you to find Alexis Roan Fancher, buy her books. If you're in California and places where she's reading, go hear her. Alexis, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It's been a real pleasure, Marsha. I hope you have a delicious day.
0: Thank you. And so long to
2: our listeners.